You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. So welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Once Upon a Turnbuckle. And I'm so glad that for the first time I get to have a returnee guest. So from um, the Facebook fan episode I had on episode 13, I welcome back Paul McGrath from the Phoenix Five podcast. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Thank you. Not bad. I'm looking forward to this one because so we, we've, we've batted around a few ideas and we settled on or you 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 came back and there was a clear front runner for you um so what we are going to discuss in whatever length we can today is the fall of wcw which i'm sure we could probably dedicate an entire series to at some (laughs) point so um you know maybe a recurring thing but um before we touch on that, the one thing I wanted to see, I don't know if you, if you keep up with it or whatever, but the, your thoughts on the, the Hall of Fame inductees this year, have you uh, seen them at all? I have, yeah. Uh, I was actually speaking to a friend about it yesterday because it's two, two last year's and this year's, isn't it? Yeah. Hall of Fame. They've done two different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me who's in it again because so, there's so many people. I know that so, oh, the great Carly was inducted. Is being inducted this is it. It's, it's like, mostly sort of the, the ones that, I made me made me scratch my head on the ones they've got this year. I mean, last year is JBL, British Bulldog, which is way yeah. overdue. Jishin Liger, which again, yeah. William Shatner, there's always got to be a, a comedy one, I suppose. But Kane, I think, you know, personally, well deserved. Yeah, I mean, Kane's with longevity, um, impact, yeah. um, legacy. Uh, I think. They're the three things you're looking for when you induct someone mm. to all of them. I think he ticks all three boxes. He does, yeah. Molly Holly. Mm. I never really not knew much of her, to be fair, not but I didn't know. No, not for me. Eric Bischoff. That's an interesting one. Especially, yeah. especially with what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so he's definitely, I mean, look, he definitely, yeah, he's earned a place to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think there's an argument with that. I think the the Carly's the one for me that was just. Uh, it's a bit of an odd one. I think they uh, had a they had a spot going spare. You know I texted a friend and I said the great Carly in the Hall of Fame is this the worst entry I can ever remember? And my friend texted me back and he said one and he doesn't agree. He agrees it's a terrible decision. You know, but for the, uh, for maybe a joke, I don't know. He's a former world champion. And he single-handedly spearheaded the Indian wrestling scene in expansion in January 22nd, 2021. WWE Network exclusive superstar spectacular watched by 20 million people in India. So you can see again why yeah. that has gone yeah. um, from a broadcasting or a uh, 
viewers. Yeah. Yeah, there's always, I, I, I like that a lot of these have probably got, there is a backstory to it, but taking on face value of what they've done in mm. the ring, it's a, it, it was an odd one. It's got but, the Hall of Fame, the problem with it now, buddy, is it, it's it's now become its own event, which mm. is fine. It's always mm. been like interesting, but they've all, they've caused themselves problems by having so many, trying to have so many people each year. Yeah. That, you know, it should be maybe four people. Um, yeah. Maybe you have uh, a main person, you know, more of a mid card, but whatever. And then a special attraction, maybe a celebrity or a woman in wrestling. And I do think that the, the interesting thing is that the Warrior Award, when that was first brought brought about, um, he mentioned things like the technicians and the camera crew and things like that. Mm. And the WWE went, "Yeah, that's a great idea. We'll do kids and charities, which is fine. I haven't got a problem with that." Mm. But there's cameramen that have been there for years and uh, yeah. photographers, and producers, and you're thinking, get them out and have it. You know, they're the people that make the show tick. And I was quite disappointed, not that what they did with the Connor and all the other things they've done hasn't been fantastic. There's no disrespect to that, mm. but I would have liked to see more of those people. A bit like in when you do the Oscars and you get the people behind the scene and they don't make the main show, they make the night before, which is yeah. fine, but you, it's recognition of that. So yeah. I think they, they cause their own problems by having celebrity wings and the, uh, a loop. the other one, which is they re, they pick people in from like the early twenties and they use that as a wing. Yeah. If they had a physical area to go and see this stuff, then I would make sense. Yeah. But not just in paper. No. Final one for this year, Rob Van Dam, RVD. Yeah, I think again, impact, longevity, yeah. uh, memorable moments. Uh, he's He's been through all three companies at one stage. Yeah, so, yeah. at least he, he has got a legacy within WWE. It's, yeah. it's not just, you know, ECW, um, which again, back in the day, I think when he was at his height when with ECW, you wouldn't have considered he would be in the WWE Hall of Fame at any point. But he no. definitely, for me, he's, he's, he's a good pick to be in there because he, he kind of did it all. You know, I see title, tag titles, world title. He, yeah, yeah, he was there through all of it. So, As I said, I think there's, I think there's, I don't, I think they could have just left 2021 and just redone 2020 this year. They need to then again, yeah. For everyone one brief or that would have been enough and it's almost like they've because they've got two nights they've kind of shoehorned in what will yeah. be nice to see potentially is obviously the no fans and how it, it, a bit more i might say to you in the last chat we had mm. about wearing suits and everyone just wore normal clothes mm. obviously the atmosphere lacks when the fans are there and but it'd be interesting to see how they react with no fans and what the speeches are and how they yeah. time it mm. keep that going forward those rumors because i i swore the undertaker had been in the hall of fame already but he still hasn't. He, so, uh, main is in Texas. I think next year, I think he'll be their big one. And I think the year after will be the rock because that's in Hollywood. I think that's yeah, their best. There Plus, um, they some, someone was saying as well, which is a valid point. They will probably wait till they got fans there to have someone like The Undertaker go in because, yeah. you know, would be a pretty, a pretty, uh, anticlimactic yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Cool. So, on to the topic at hand. I mean, we can launch straight in in all directions in this. You know, I think if we kind of go back to the beginning for both of us to sort of lay the lay the foundations almost, what sort of part when you were getting into wrestling or back in sort of the 80s, 90s and that, what part did WCW play for you and your love of wrestling? The Galoob toys, the WCW wrestling ring, um, the cage, the red cage around the wrestling ring. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, I think my first ring was that. Then you had the blue WWE one or WF one, rather. That's not really the first WWF one. Yeah. Um, WCW. Do you know what? I don't, 
it's really weird because WWF wasn't really on TV. It was on ITV late at night, I remember. WWF, I had Sky, and I, I remember it vividly. So with WWF, it was um, on Sky 1 on Sunday evenings between 5 and 6. It was All America, I think, or American, I think it was yeah. called. And it was a like a studio show, and then they would show clips of the week. And then it would be Simpsons after. And I used to have like my bath on Sunday night ready for school, jamas on, but I want to be in time for the WWE five o'clock show to then watch Simpsons before bed. Um, WW had to record and then watch that. I don't remember having a massive amount of time watching WW, like memories at the early time. Mm-hmm. Often, as I said, like the Ron Simmons winning the title yeah. with, on ITV and a few little bits if I was out at, late at night. Um, or up late at night and my mum used to watch on ITV years ago was Prisoner Cell Block H right. and that used to be on like 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night on a weekday um, and then I think on the Saturday night sometimes she'd watch a few and then I'd get to watch WCW mm. very bad parenting but it was <laughs> um, so I remember that it was like that gets stuffed and gladiators at like 2am on a Saturday lineup yeah. but, so in terms of what I remember watching not an awful lot uh it was all VHSs, you know, because yeah. they never used to pay views over here. So it was kind of going to HMV and going, oh, there's Hulk Hogan, there's so-and-so. I picked this up. And yeah. that was it. It was a, a video collector, really. Exactly the same here, I think. I I mainly discovered it. I mean, my cousin, which I've, I've referenced a lot of time in a lot of episodes, because of him, I got into wrestling. He had the WCW Galoob figures. He didn't have the ring. I was very um, jealous of him because he had the Hasbro WWF ring. And I had the WCW one where the post kept flying out the corner and you got that springboard thing that you used to sort of... use a pencil in the end because the ring kept breaking (laughs) and then it was Brilliant. It was a nightmare. (laughs) And I used to get frustrated with the figures because they didn't move. It It all seemed a lot kind of... I suppose like the mood of the of WCW against WWF at the time, it was, it felt a lot more old school, even back then. Mm. Um, the, the shows, when I watched them, they looked like a darker atmosphere, literally, you know, the lights were down. It was more of a spotlight on the ring kind of thing. Whereas the WWF was bright lights, bright colors. And yeah, I, I got given some VHSs. I think the first one I had, it was like a triple pack. I had, Halloween Havoc 91, Starcade 90, Starcade 89. Um, I used to watch them on a loop because that was my only exposure to WCW until like you you mentioned when it was on ITV and I got, there was this leap. So I was watching like 1991 on video and then all of a sudden it was 93, 94. <laughs> the scene had changed a little bit. I mean, Sting was still there. So it was, it was you could still relate to it. Um, but looking back on it now, I... I had this thought a little while ago when I was when I had the network and, and I could go back through all the old WCW events I didn't see. It's comparing late 80s, maybe 1990, the rosters they had. It really surprised me how WCW wasn't considered more of a threat to the WWF back then. I know they had Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, which probably did swing it. Yeah. But you had on one card people like Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, Sting, Luger, Road Warriors, the fabulous Freebirds. That, that comes back to Vince. That comes back to not allowing WSW to have airtime, to have close circuit. Mm. Yeah. Um, a lot of things, again, that it, they were big. But, for example, I can't remember. I think WrestleMania 2 or 3, um, Slamboree. No, was it Slamboree? Yeah, Slamboree was supposed to be on, I think it was. 
and Vince said you can have one or the other. You can't have both. I think this this happened as well. I don't know if it's the same time or or, or what. Survivor Series '87 came about yeah. pretty much as a direct competition to Starcade yeah. because it was due to happen at the same time. Yeah, he did exactly the same thing. And he did it quite hard. He did it for for um, then WCW started doing the same thing for like they mm. had the free to air special events attraction. So it was starting even then because I think it was that as you said with the rosters. It, it, I, for me, until the Austin era, I would argue that WSW always had a stronger roster. Mm. Always. Yeah. They just didn't seem to know quite what to do with it. I mean, that was going to bring me on, on to the next point, really, is WCW was always considered the the younger brother, almost, the little brother of WWF, you know, was never going to overtake it at the time. At one point we all know it did what point would you say it started to swing in wcw's favor what what sort of what bischoff. one thing bischoff. bischoff okay yeah that's the one thing bischoff came in look this is okay so i've read all the books and the, the, the information and it's very easy for for someone on the losing side to to tell their story against someone mm. on the winning side i've always felt bischoff has a great memory for things that he did well and not so much when the things he didn't do so well mm. but Bischoff coming in was a, a bold move. It was a surprise move. And he changed the, he upgraded it. He updated it. He mm. made it more funky, more hip and more cool. And he, he saw that there was ways that he could change the business for the better. Mm. And he had the bit the, the backing of a billionaire, Ted Turner at the time, who wanted to overtake Vincent Mann, which is obviously yeah. that helps massively. Mm. So those two coming together and being like, yeah, look, you know, what can we do to take out? What can we do to beat? The famous quote is, um, what can we do to beat Vincent Mann? He said, give me airtime on Monday night, not thinking he would do it. And they went, yeah. okay, clear the schedule, TNT, 9 p.m. on Monday, you've got two hours. Hmm. That was a defining moment in, in the in the change. Equally defining was when, I think four, five years later, when they came back and said, oh, by the way, you've now got Thunder on a Thursday night, two hours a week, go and feel that. So yeah. on one stroke, it made WSW, and the next, it broke it. Yeah. So... Bischoff coming in made a huge difference for me. A huge, huge difference. Do you, um, how big an impact do you think Hulk Hogan made going in 94? Do you think WCW would have been as big without him? Mm, good question. So I think, okay, mm, yes, it's a difficult one. It's like going, oh, if they sign, if so and so signed so and so, would they have gone on to do this? I think, I think whatever happened, I think WCW would have, overtaking WWE at some stage I don't think it would have been as big a number gap maybe because Hogan was the catalyst to kind of oh hold on that mainstream WWE never had as you said earlier on it was like this dingy kind of mm. look WWE never had the mainstream media and they tried things like Robocop and Chucky and tried to badly tried to have yes. these this media attention but it never really worked for them because they were seen as the southern you know redneck sort of yeah. old school wrestling and trying to it wasn't working and the fans they had would turn off by these things so they never yeah. really tried to go for it after that i felt no. hogan coming in put a marker down definitely mm -hmm. but even in WWE at the time ratings were going down when he was there i think that people were over the whole hogan hype at that yeah. stage he yeah. needed a break and they WCW got on a downward trajectory but he made a slight difference in the ratings when he came it wasn't huge no. so you go back ratings it wasn't like a you know too many more people checked in you had a few more people check in but it was what, what came with with hogan the, the media the circus that yeah. came with 
helped to make them established. I would say that was the day that you got an established number two that was yeah. laying the path to go, right, we're coming. It's it's almost like they they were struggling. I suppose looking back on it, it's easy, but it's, they were struggling to break from being a territory kind of organization when they were the NWA and Jim Crockett and that to to being um like a, a, an international worldwide product like WWF was. Yeah, you're right. Maybe Hogan coming over brought that element over and they considered it the first kind of shot across the bow. Um what I found odd around that time though is if it was just Hogan that came over fair enough it was all of his friends that came over wcw was soon overrun with wwf rejects with honky tonk man kamala you know brutus beefcake whatever he was called that week um you know they tried things with these guys but i kind of think were they taken seriously at the time or would they have been taken more seriously if they didn't if they weren't looking like a bit of a wwf reject kind of hmm. you know charity shop almost the thing is if you look back through history of wrestling the charity thing people always moved uh I, I, we've become accustomed now and we do it now you look at uh, AEW's loss I've had an argument with my brother who's a big fan and my friend and I said the one thing that AEW came out and said they wouldn't do was go and just give loads of WWE contracts I said but that's all they're doing now yeah because and I've always been an advocate and saying you know, you can have as many indie wrestlers or uh, great wrestlers on a show as you want. It doesn't matter. It's the names at the top of the bill that sell the, the pay-per-views, that sell the mm. seats, that sell the tours, that sell the media. Don't matter what you do in boxing, in football, it's, it's the same. The best footballer doesn't get you the best seats. The best yeah. person that gives you the most stories gets you in the seats. The personalities get you in your seats. Mm. So going back to the WSW stat factor, yeah, I mean, they... They brought in anyone, but then at the same time, that's where you got your talent from because mm. the territories were shut. Um, you you had WWE people that left there and you brought them over because there were two companies really. And then ECW was a byproduct, and they had um, you know the people that weren't really in WCW or WWE's uh, rosters mm. used some of the independent stars and then brought in some talent to kind of bolster it out, yeah. which is what a smart person does because they needed names to sell to get Rob Van down, Jerry Lynn and all these people over. Yeah. And I think that's what they did. And I think it was a bit like, Hey, you're out of the contract. We'll get you. So you, mm. they can't have you. So yeah. I, from a business point of view, I definitely get it. It's almost like, well, the competition let you go. Let's take you and don't really do it now. You know, they just go yeah. sign people up and they keep them on contracts just because they don't want anyone else to have them. Yeah. And did it water it down? Yes. Was it a bit of a reject? Yes. Um, but that's part of the WW story, isn't it? That's kind it's, of it begs the question, you know, that's been asked, I know, plenty of times, is um until I mean they did it when they came up with the cruiserweight division that they really opened up to the young, the young talent that was coming through and and brought them to the fore. But back then, sort of 94, early part of 95, they they had a few there, but they didn't really seem to want to take a chance on them. People like I think Alex Wright was always quite exciting when he came out, but he turned out to be a little bit, you know, mm. they didn't really know where to put him. And obviously Triple H was there. Do they, do they regret not making more of him? I don't know. I don't think yeah. you can say that now, really. You can't have anyone. Like, oh, they, if, if you go back and go, they had Stone Cold, they had Triple H. They didn't have Stone yeah. Cold, they had, they had um, Paul Levesque. S they had Stunning Steve. Steve, <laughs> who was a good technician, um, was, was really good, but... Yeah. 
again, it's easy in hindsight to go, you ain't going to make it, kid. And they go somewhere else and they're a superstar. Mm. That happens. You know, yeah. I, I think it happened more because WCW had so many, many people on their roster. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to go and go, well, they had The Undertaker, they had Triple H. Yes, of course, they all had them. So could you argue that WWE just signed all WCW's talents? It's, mm. Flip it around. You, you could argue that WWE knew what to do with them. Maybe they exactly. had a better infrastructure in place to to get something out. I mean, with Triple H, he bounced around for the first sort of two years before he actually became, you Triple know, H. It, yeah, really. It wasn't until DX that he really started to, and that's the character, that's the depiction of him that stayed. Is the yeah, one that started. Yeah, I think W. You go back. I said about Bischoff, and the, the reason why that ties in is because WW was run very much like a territory they had a booker that changed and was fired and let go and come back in different rick flair Arna, ole anderson uh kevin Dusty sullivan Mark, kevin sullivan yeah all these people were just booking and, and and there's no consistency there's someone's contracts up i don't know who's, whose job is that there's someone over there that's their job oh, yeah. i've done it i'm gonna walk away WWE had vids and yeah. you never underestimate that one 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 vision and one person tunneling out going this is what we do and had his hand in everything yeah. That's the difference between why WWE. If you if you switched it over and put Vince in WWE, WWE would have survived. Yeah. Because having that soul, and that's why Bischoff, when he came in, gave them that sole focus of what's our target? Beat Vince. Right. Yeah. Hammer down. I every decision this, this company makes on a on a wrestling level goes through me. Yeah. Corporate will do the contracts and stuff like that. Um, but the wrestling and, and who stays and who goes, that's through me. Yeah, And I think that's when you've seen the cohesion that started to work. I think Jim Ross, I've heard say that before as well, is that back in, yeah, sort of the more territory days and the real early 90s when we had like the bookers bouncing around, they were they were booking themselves mostly at the top of the cards, especially people like Ric Flair. Yeah. It would happen again when Kevin Nash did it, but we'll come to probably him a bit later on. Um, and there nobody would there was too many people making like you say making the decisions and he, you know jim ross has out you know um outwardly said every single decision or there was never a decision made without vince's approval so you know he's keeping control of his vision i suppose eric uh eric bischoff i mean he started off more in sort of the tv side of things um, and yeah, he, kind of... he was like announcing, and the, he was announcing on their C show at the time, and then he mm. got uh, uh, an interview with WWE um, with a famous mop, you know, having the giving him a mop, and Vince telling him to promo, sell it, sell it to me, sell it to me, yes. kid. And then Bischoff trying, but it was very journalistic and very sports-like, and not entertaining enough, and he never got the gig. You know, imagine if he if they hired him. Yeah. Would WWE? That's a different, you know. That would have been, that's a that's one of them sliding doors moments. So mm -hmm. you're thinking, you know. So I think, yeah, Bischoff. Uh, the, the difference with Hogan with, with Bischoff was he surrounded himself with people that were the talent. So Hogan, Nash, DDP, mm -hmm. uh, when other people came in, he never had that infrastructure. It just seemed to be Bischoff and then talent. With Vince, it was Jerry Briscoe, Pat Patterson, Jim Ross people that around him that generally were yes men that's you know that's no mistake yeah. about that. yeah um but there wasn't booking of influence there wasn't kind of jr was known to be a, a mick foley a steve austin and a i think a, a rock guy you yeah. know he would go to bat for them mm. um and that's fine you have your picks but in wsw it was like hogan might speak to bishop about something and they, they, he denies this about influence over storylines and yeah. character, bullshit you know is it he, he can't come out and be honest about that of course he can't but from my personal opinion is there's no way 
he didn't booker himself into certain positions. There's just no way. And he's come out tonight, which is just utter ludicrousness. Um, so I think that makes a difference. Who you surround yourself with yeah. and getting the one-man decision to get you through to where you want to be. Yeah, definitely. The one one thing that I kind of, when I was preparing for this one, and I I haven't really prepared for any of these shows before. Now, the, what's, what's nice about this one is when I've done these deep dives before, it's just been me. And I've just been kind of, I've not really done any kind of preparation except for what I remember about the time and, and what stuck with me. But this one, I, I wanted to really go and, and do a little bit of digging. And the, the one thing I delved into was the Monday Night Wars. Because I think when Nitro started, may well have been, if, Ho, if, if WCW getting Hogan wasn't a statement of, you know, we're, we're here, you know, we're going to give you a run for your money. Nitro was as big a signal as you could get. Um, and it was really interesting to see not only that 83 weeks where WCW kicked WWF's ass, it was more kind of, I was looking at what, at what point did these things change? What was going on on both sides to kind of swing this? So, I mean, if I was to, to throw that open to you, I mean, off the top of your head, from what you remember about that time, what would you say was the moment that swung the Monday Night Wars into WCW, WCW's favour? I think they've done it very quickly. At the time, um, I, I've, there's two very good books. One's called The Death of WCW, and one is, oh, I can't what it's called. I, I, I was going to... I think my brother's got it, but I'll, I'll find it and I'll give you the link to it. Cool. And it, there's, this is the book that talks about the finances and talks about the mm. Turner Corporation being bought out by um, by AOL Time Warner at the time. So two very different books in terms of perspective, but it gives you a real solid look of two independent writers writing about the books with low influence or, or knowledge of what was happening. It's just kind of the facts and the numbers. Yeah. WF at the time were very stale. It was very cartoony. It was very kiddie. Yeah. Um, WW was very territory, very southern, uh, not really media savvy. And going live was the first thing because you never knew what was going to happen. Was then, you know, going live was like, what can happen? Mm. Then you have Luger showing up on the first show who wrestled the night before on TV at uh, uh, Monday Night Raw. I think that no, was, a, was it Raw? No, it would have been a pay per view. I think it was, the, was it the Canadian Stampede? Was it? No, nah, he, he was at SummerSlam. Uh, he made a, he made kind of a run in in the main event of SummerSlam, and then from one of the other guys I spoke to for episode thirteen, um, he actually saw Lex Luger's last match, which was yeah That's days right. before, um, yeah, which was just a house show, I think. In that house, was some, what, he, he turns up anyway, and yeah. that was like okay, he was on their show, now he's on this show. Mm. So the first thing was going live. The second thing was you didn't know what was going to happen. The third thing was the feel in terms of the more adult content, maybe. Mm. Not even like the, it was the Nitro girls coming in and, and giving them these, like, you know, shaking their ass and their tits. Yeah. Like, okay, young kids are watching it or, you know, young teenager boys are watching this. Yeah. And those are three things. And then the roster, you know, yeah. the actual wrestling on the show, mm. you know, Ubuntu Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, um, the actual technical press. But then you had the names of the Hogans and the Machos. Yeah. You had, I think, the cruiserweight division was so. If you cast your mind back to '95, it was pretty bad as a year. Again, I've discussed this on another show, which I had great fun with, because it's the one year that really sticks in my mind. It's the it's the year that I I finally got cable TV. I could actually keep up with it on a weekly basis. So when I first watched Nitro, 
uh, it was on a bit of a delay, I think, until they the TNT, the TNT movie channel got it over in the UK, and it used to play That's after right. Cartoon Network. On That's the Friday it, yeah. Night. yeah. Um, I think the one of the first ones I watched had Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio Jr. on it, and I'd never seen them before. And seeing them against each other was phenomenal. And it was also, I think, that was the night that the Giant beat Ric Flair for the world title. So all of a sudden, there's these like major title changes that didn't WWF didn't do really on Never. on Raws or, or any of the weekly they saved that specifically for the for the pay-per-views so or we, oh yeah on that show as well so Rey Mysterio beat Dean Malenko for the Cruiserweight title so you got one show two title changes immediately I was like okay this is this is it's definitely something different it's definitely hooked me in uh, we didn't have to watch, we didn't have to choose over here whether we watch Raw or Nitro because Nitro, uh, Raw was actually broadcast I think like an hour or so later. So you're actually able to watch both of them. But, yeah, Raw um, was on, on Friday nights at like 10. Nine or 10 o'clock, something like that, yeah. And Nitro was at nine, nine to 11. So there was an overlay of an hour. When they went two hours, this is where it started to get interesting because yeah, yeah. that's where you did get that hour crossover but the beauty of having multiple cable boxes in your house and being able to record <laughs> a different one. Yeah, We were still able to do that. The HSs, people don't know what that is. The people most, well, I suppose people are <laughs> that. So any younger yeah. people, just look it up. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was. You're right. It was. That was. That's why I think I, it, we got to be part of the wars then, almost. Yeah, in in our own way. Yeah, yeah. Because we but, used to go. So basically, we used to. Um, it's you know the results by Friday anyway, because it was on Monday. You go online and you get all the results Monday evening, and yeah. you're waiting to see it on Friday. And then we used to go to our friend's house most Fridays and watch Raw. Um, and he hated WCW. So it was like, okay, what's Raw? And I would call WCW, go home and watch it. Yeah. And then as it got like, I was getting more and more bored of the same thing on WWE, or WF, I went home and I was like, oh, I'm going to stay home and watch WCW. I might come over for the last hour. Then he was like, oh, we can watch it here if you want. I was like, oh, no, you want to watch that. It's fine. You watch that. I'll watch this and come over. I'll record it. And then he was like, oh, okay, we'll watch a little bit. And it was kind of then we were flipping over between the channels, even though we knew the results on both shows. Yeah. Um, but it was just like, oh, we turn over what match we want to watch. And we got the feel a bit of the war. It, it, it's a shame it took so long for it to go live in the UK because that made a big difference. I think, um, you know, we, we used to start for the pay-per-views on a Sunday night most, well, every month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, no WWE pay-per-views in the UK. No, we didn't. So I, I, my first experience of that when we got Sky, Cable, whatever it was, um, there was a, a German sports channel, I can't remember what it was called now, but they used to show... Well, sport, wasn't it? I think it was called. I honestly can't remember. It's like, I don't know, if, I'm thinking DFS, but it's not because they make furniture. So it was something, it's like three letters. But I remember it was like, and it was it was all German commentary and everything, but that was the first taste I got of WCW at that point because they used to show Clash, Clash of the Champions and Worldwide and stuff. So I just had to put up with the fact that I didn't really understand what they were saying. Um, but um, yeah, that was, that was the first time that I really got, to see what was going on at the time in real time and yeah. then by the time i actually like i say got to tnt and that you you actually i remember you could see the results on teletext i don't know if you ever knew that yeah you yeah, yeah. On, yeah you could actually see firstly the lineup of, <laughs> yeah. on that day what was going to happen on nitro that friday and then at some point they put up the results as well it's uh, fantastic better time a better time <laughs> yeah but um so looking at the 
I'm not going to dissect it week for week because we'll be here forever. But sort of looking at the trend, so let me see. For the first, so when Nitro launched, um, for the first 38 weeks, or within the first 38 weeks, WCW, it, it was a bit back and forth. They each sort of had ratings wins. WCW only won 14 of those. So WWF very much still was holding the audience. Then... WWE had a pattern, but bear in mind, yeah. WWE had a time of following a, a force of habit. What mm. Apple has now when you buy the, their products, you're just used to buying it and you're just used to watching WWE. Yeah. So it, it takes a few months to get that habit to go, well, hold on, let's let's change it to here and or go back to still. And then the habits, bosh, they change completely. Yeah. So the looking at the first, what I what I think is the 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 start of the 83 week streak. It's definitely the first week. Um, which which started the week on week wins for WCW. Um, if I was to say to you what event happened two three weeks before they they started their winning streak, would you remember this? This was back in sort of seventeenth of June was their first win ratings win of that streak by what I can see. So is, uh, what year was that? This is ninety six. Okay, ninety six. No, it wasn't there. No, I can't remember. I think now, night. What was the results? I'm trying to think, something of June. They would have had a who turned up? Maybe was it? Uh... The giant. Who did he fight? It was, it was a title fight, but it wasn't. No, you tell me. I'm trying to think. I'll, I'll put you out of misery. So three weeks... versus. So three weeks before, twenty seventh of May. Scott Hall turned up. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, it was the first two-hour Nitro as well, and so, and then, so WWF had been on a bit of a bit of a ratings war win streak. Then WCW had uh, a, a three weeks in a row where they won. The second of which was when they went two hours and Scott Hall turned up. So the second week would, from my memory, would have probably been when Kevin Nash first appeared as well. Was it the second week or the third week? I think it was a, a couple week gap. Because they said, no, Could, next week I'm going to shut up my friend. It was, yeah. It was ah, the okay. So yeah. the last the last time WWF won the ratings war for quite some time was the 10th of June, 96. That was the last time they would win until April, 98. So this was when WCW really started turning the tables. So 17th of June, Nitro wins its first in this streak. And it goes on and on and on and on. Monday Night Raw takes until the 3rd of February, 97, to go to two hours to compete. So, were you know, was one of Nitro's wins, obviously, they had the NWO. That was obviously huge, which we know. But how, how much was them having that second hour over Raw, obviously, oh, swing huge. in their favour? Mm. Of course it was. Because, again, it's changing habits. It's, mm. again, knowing that if you, you know, it was... The little things they had by starting just before Raw would start, mm. you know, because they had power of the network and go, right, well, Raw starts at nine. They've got a schedule, but on TNN, we want to start at 8.58, mm. you know, and then therefore when we, or 7.50 when the time is on, and then we, people have the lead in, and then, they, then they're already, they're changing their habits. Yeah. The NWO yeah. was a massive catalyst. There's no argument there. I think that was the thing. There's not much that hasn't been done in wrestling. I know he's been tarnished with it. It was done prior in Japan, um, the invasion angle, yeah. you know, and that, that's fine and 
we wouldn't have known about as Western fans, really, unless you were properly into like you know yeah. the tape let's swap him. Um, the Hogan story, obviously, everyone knows the Hogan story, but it was supposed to be Hogan. Then he was like, "No, I'm not going to do it." And then it was supposed to be Sting. Sting was ready in the wings, and then Hogan's so, like, "Oh, brother, I'm going to do it." Um, I don't believe that for a second. I, I think it was always Hogan. Yeah. I think it was. I don't. It wouldn't have worked if it was Sting. Is the first thing, and, and Bischoff said this. He, he knew it wouldn't have worked if it was Sting because it wasn't a big enough name no. um, or a surprise to make it. Turning Hogan heel was the biggest. It's a bit like Cena in the modern, you know, they never yeah. turned him heel at the right time. Turn him heel at a certain stage, he would have been red hot as yeah. a heel. He really, because he was just could have, and it, a smart heel as well. Mm-hmm. Hogan turning heel, you know, the iconic coming down, the brain giving it, you know, oh, here he is, it's Hogan. Oh, what? It, 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 yeah. Things are going to pick up, and then bomb the leg drop. I mean, it was a shock. Yeah. It was a genuine. I don't think you've been a shot like that since um, Lesnar beat Taker. That's how, how impactful no. it was. You can see, actually, the fans' reactions very visually because of them throwing all the rubbish in the ring. You know, they, well, the you, you had no. The commentators didn't know. No. I mean, it's that's, just... that's how secretive it was, it was kept. And that's what worked with the genuine reaction of everyone not knowing. Yeah. Uh, just... Even now, I've got goosebumps just thinking about that moment. As like, I still love it. Like I've yeah. listened to, that, watched that so many times, just to see any hints. There's nothing there to know, and it, when he does it, that is the moment that the wars, yeah, for the eight three weeks is. is I th- I think solidifies your point earlier about Bischoff being the the real turning point. Because would anyone before him have had the sense or balls to do that? No, friendship helps. Selling it to him helps. You know, Hogan's got a massive ego, like most people of power or celebrity. Ego comes part of the territory. To sell that to him mm. and really have to sell it to him, listen, prayers, vitamins, that's yeah. got to go out the window. You're, you know, it, the merchandise alone, you know, obviously the NWO shirt didn't sell bad. He did it, as we all know. Not really. No, you keep he had, he had a, a, no. a nice pie on that. So... I yeah that was the that was that was a moment that was a that was a booking piece of genius and the other piece of genius to skip forward just very quickly when we all go come back mm. was the sting angle that yes. was ruining the thing you know yeah. everyone forgets how, how that that would have I think that would have definitely a prolonged WW streak that kind of started was the for me that was a turning point in the starting downfall mm. of WW going the wrong way you know yeah. there's, there's five mistakes WW made in terms of the points they made that I think. That, that was a big mistake, but we'll get on to that. Yeah. To say the NWO was, when it first started out, was was mo- monstrous in the in the greatest way. I mean, it was something mm. that I don't think, I, I, I didn't envisage it was going to become as big as it was. I was in shock when I saw, obviously, Hogan turn heel and, you know, dressing in black for the next few weeks and wondering who, then they started talking about who else was going to join. For me, NWO was better when it was a really tight group. Mm. I remember back in like I don't know if it's ninety nine, certainly by two thousand. Oh, people, it was red and black, green and blue, yellow and yeah. Uh, <laughs> black and Sorry, but everyone, yeah. everyone was in there almost. You know, even like if you go back, people like IRS, you know, Michael Wall Street, whatever, and Virgil was in there. Yeah, people who wouldn't have even been given any kind of major role in the WWF or WCW probably no. where all of a sudden they it watered that product down, which for me was mistake number one. 
Yeah, that was a big, big, big boo-boo. No, they could have. I know they wanted to carry it on. Maybe they could, they just carried it on too long and they didn't really know what I to do. I don't think they didn't want to carry it on. It be, the story goes, it was because, so basically what was, uh, you had the Nash going to the red and black, with the, having that part. Mm. Um, and the idea was then to coming back into the red and the black and white and then it kind of dissolves. Problem was, it, unless you was in the NWO, you weren't getting on TV. No, so that's that, true. So, that was what was happening. So you have people lobbying for their position and, and then going to Kevin Nash, let me join, let me join. Because the minute you got on TV, yeah. you came down the ramp of them all, all 30 on charge. And that was the only reason why NWO expanded because yeah. it was, everyone said, well, if we're not in the NWO and you're not Sting or DDP, you're not getting in TV. So everyone lobbied to get in. And then it was like, well, the Latinos said, well, let's have our own group and let's call it the NWO. We'll be NWO group Latin or whatever it would be. LWO, yeah. The Latino, yeah, and then, it just vanished. It was yeah. just a joke. But when they first came in, the three things they did, I mean, look, the curtain was never pulled back on wrestling, really, until the NWO came in. Mm. When the NWO came in, the curtain started to be pulled back ever so slightly, and you started to see behind the scenes. You weren't seeing fights in backstage in no. WWE at the time. Mm. Going into parking lots, you weren't seeing that. People coming through the crowd, you weren't. All these little nuances made the difference. It made it feel real. Yeah. Uh, called them by their real names. It had an element of reality TV, which was, wasn't even massively mainstream at that stage. It wasn't mm. massive. It was starting to come in, but it was making that feel and you feeling part of the show and going, well, hold on a second. Is this, is this real? Yeah. And that's what you want when you watch TV. You want to not know what's happening, mm. but you want to feel like you know what's happening. Yeah. So it, it was very smartly booked. The three original members were great. The problem again was under a Vince tuition, it they wouldn't have got the power to to do what they want when they wanted no. um you know dx pushed the boundaries but i don't remember thinking dx were the beyond end of the show if no. you know nwa was very much tag team titles nation hall um hogan on the, on the world title a start segment a middle segment an next an end segment dx had similar lines but a very short period but it was a lot more like if you weren't on the, you know, at the NWA, you weren't cool. The vignettes, the black and white, the kind of the style of it. Ingenious. It was, it was anarchy, really. That's what it felt like. You actually felt like this is actually, it could well be happening. You know, we all knew that it was part of the act, but it felt like these guys are actually, they're, they're breaking out against WCW and, you know, they're an actual threat. Yeah. Was, there, was there anyone who went into the NWO just quickly who you remember thinking actually it was a mistake for their career to to go into the nwo that they would have been everyone apart from the main three <laughs> maybe expat potentially that, so anyone who you who you feel it, it's um if they had just left alone that they would have been a bigger star in wcw because obviously some of the lower card people like you know virgil and and uh mike rotunda and that they probably wouldn't have ever got to those those levels do you think anyone was held back being no interview. not really I, I don't i think i think it went from being free to 23 in a very quick period of time yeah um you had obviously uh, uh sean walkman came in uh, and that gave that that bit of youth and a bit of that that gave them the extra the, the, the cruiserweight person then a cruiserweight person then a tag team person people in national hall they had a hogan as a world heavyweight who could interchange with Hogan and that whole hall and Nash could go up to the top tier if they needed to. Mm. Um, so you cover all the bases, really. Yeah. I think everyone else that was in it after that, the storyline with is DDP going to join? 
Um, that was, was cool. I remember that. Good. Yeah. Um, and not joining, but you know, and Scott Steiner turned on Rick Steiner and Big Show came in. There's a or the Giant came in. I lost just, track of what the Giant was doing. I got to admit, Scott Steiner. I mean, he would never. Again, another argument: Would he have ever had Big Papa Pump if he didn't turn heel and yeah, go to the NWO? He was already in the mode. He was already in the beard and stuff. It was it, that was the, the the start of it. And I don't yeah. think NWO not made any difference to his career. He he was outspoken and was just a a, a, a genetic freak, as yeah. you all know. So he would have got wherever he would have got, regardless. Um, it outlet. It went too long. I think they, they they it went too long. It should have been a three year stint, um, and then it should have been them infighting. But it went. Hall being a drunk obviously was portrayed and then okay. bringing people in. So I think the beginning, fantastic for the first 18 months, revolutionary, but it outstayed. It, 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 it was the sole focus of the show for too long. And therefore people started getting a bit bored. And when you had DX coming in, it made it quite interesting again, because then, you know, and then Bischoff calling out Vince at the pay-per-view coming yeah. down and fight me. Yeah. Um, but then what happened is again, it's that Bischoff became a, f- I don't want to say a mark because he would disagree, but he became a mark for himself. I yeah. think he became a mark for like, Nash wanted to do this and, ho- and it just had to let him do what he wanted. And you have people like Jericho and Benoit and all mm. these talents at, at the time who they gave a lot of TV time. People forget they, they were on TV a lot, weren't winning the world title, but should they have been winning the world title at that stage? Probably not. Probably not. No. People might agree with me, but you know, generally speaking, um, there was a few exceptional talents at the time of HBK, Bret Hart um, in WWE that, that started the trend of not being giants having the world title. But we're used to having big characters who weren't mm. the best in the card, no. but were believable monsters selling your, your, the, the biggest title in their company. Yeah. If you had at that time, if WWE took the risk and went, right, Benoit, Malenko, Guerrero as heavyweight champions, I still think the ratings would have gone down regardless. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think the whole yeah, that's my, yeah. There was something that was off, which again we will we'll 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 touch on as as I sort of break through this bit because for me, what happened on the Monday Night Wars, there was a very clear message that comes out of that for me as to why it started to go a bit wrong. Um, that, that, just thinking about it, actually, Eric Bischoff turning heel and being the on street on screen character, he did that before. Mr. McMahon existed. Mm-hmm. Would Vince have done that if if Eric hadn't have broken out on screen? In your opinion, a uh, good question. Um, would he? Would Hart have gone to WCW? Bishop, it's a it's impossible to say. Mm-hmm. I think Vince would, would have end up. I don't know because Vince was never on screen character. Um, and he was there for a long time. Mm. Would he have eventually, with the way WWE went, become a character? Possibly. Um, Bischoff joined MWI, I thought was quite brave at the time and quite good. Was, I, I like that, the arrogance and the mouthpiece and yeah. the little punk who got his mates behind him to back him up if anyone says anything to him. I thought it's, he played... It's well, it, it, this this sort of balance shifted. Again, you started to believe that the NWO really was taking over because they had the boss on their side, you know, and then you kind of yeah. think they're going to, get, going to get away with everything or they're going to get given everything. And um, I, I think one of the one of the great moments, you mentioned DDP a bit earlier, but it still sticks with me, was that night when Hall and Nash got in the ring with DDP after DDP had won and they presented him with an NWO yeah. shirt. He puts it on and then he cracks out the diamond cutters. Ah! I thought that was 
yeah that was the beginning really of 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 me really getting into ddp during that time i didn't really see him as a, a, a much of a a threat again, a or a, a leader yeah bishop friend again a, a close friend of bishops mm. um i've always liked ddp big mm. fan of him i think and even now like what he's doing is just fantastic yeah. it's nearly 70 he looks about i mean just fit as a fiddle um that was a good angle a really good angle that was but this is the thing wsw were very good at playing one angle hmm. per show yeah they couldn't develop stories outside of the main one so yeah. whatever the focus was that month get into the pay-per-view selling selling the tickets whether it be ddp angle the sting angle hogan goldberg you won't remember any other feuds on that car I, I assume you won't hmm. remember many more feuds no. at that period no. Well, we were very good at, at, at pushing feuds along at different stages and not just focusing. Obviously, it's your main event, your Rocks, your Austins, or whoever it would be. But you remember, like, the you know, the, the Degeneration X versus um, Men on a Mission. I uh, oh, Men on a Mission, God. Um, <laughs> DX versus uh, Edge and Christian or something like that. And you remember yeah. when the, who the IC title holder was, the battles that were going on for the mid, mid carders. Hmm. I don't remember that in WSW. At any yeah. stage, do I remember anything? more than one storyline at a time no. so we get to roundabout well the summer of 97 and a strange well firstly not a strange thing but on the 4th of august nitro sends another message and it goes three hours big mistake you reckon okay that interesting point i i it became too much for me as well to watch really i started to just flick through that because it was like watching a pay-per-view every week which i thought really did detract from the actual the, the draw the monthly pay-per-views to be fair and it was, was a, a lot of further that, stuff he, bishop has forced his hand into they didn't want three hours no. they were the, 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 the ratings and i think was doing so well that they i think what did he say they lost at the time there was a show something was coming to an end or they they wasn't renewing a show and they just like cheap to to put on and they said you can go three hours, and he was yeah. didn't really want to do three hours, but obviously at the time was like, okay, we can do that. Mm. And again, but the idea again with that was going to be two hours of Nitro WW and an hour and then WO. That's because I think shortly before, shortly after that, you had the sold out pay per view that NWO sold out, mm. and the plan going forward was okay. Well, let's a bit like what WWE tried to do when they bought WW and having an hour of WWE and then having an hour of WW. That's where the route they went was going to go down, but the sold out the NWO pay was solely bad, so badly received, mm. and they realised they missed the mark that the, the horse had bolted by that stage. But three hours is too long. Way I rem- too. I I can't think which podcast it was on. One of Conrad Thompson's ones, I think, it could be eighty three weeks with with Eric Bischoff, and they actually did they did a um, like a watch along for one of the three hour rules, a three hour nitro, sorry, and most about forty five minutes of the first hour was. Uh, vignettes promos cool. yeah there wasn't actually any so they weren't actually yeah they weren't filling it with you know an hour's worth of wrestling it was like it was an additional hour of just filler yeah, yeah. so you didn't really get to the action until you got to the second hour but um on that first one so they 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 did it in a big way they had lex luger beat hogan for the the world title and the main event of that one so you know start strong i suppose um and then the interesting thing happened a couple of weeks later. So again, Nitro still keeping the pressure up, still winning the, the ratings. Two weeks running then, 25th of August and 1st of September, there was no Monday Night Raw. 
yeah, bumped off for was it the M baseball? I think it was something like that. So they ended up broadcasting Raw on the Saturday. So oh no, we- it was the they got kicked off of the uh, uh, the dog show. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the dog show. I remember, yeah, it was quite a famous thing. They got and that helped W. Yeah, that was the, that was a, the 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 Crufts thing is they got kicked off for. Yeah, yeah I remember that. <laughs> so easy wins, really. I mean, you can't really yeah. credit them. I mean, maybe they would have continued winning anyway, but they mucked yeah. up. They were so mucked up with that. Yeah. Go and look at the cards of those two shows. Not great. No, but Not they great. they probably knew. You know, they they didn't necessarily need it. I mean, looking at then you get after that over after those two weeks, according to the ratings that I that you know my source anyway um, presented, eighth of September ninety seven, um, WCW had its biggest ratings margin over Monday Night Raw. Yeah, is that Hogan Goldberg, isn't it? No, it wasn't actually. So just looking at the card, so on one side, so when Raw came back after its two week break on Mondays. You had Bret Hart against Vader, the Godwins against the Headbangers. You had a midget match, Max Minion, and Piratita Morgan. Uh, Owen Hart and Goldust in the Intercontinental title tournament and Triple H against Savio Vega and the Patriot. Jesus. Yeah, not, not great. And then on the other side, you got Rey Mysterio Jr. against Eddie Guerrero, which is pretty strong. But then Hugh Morris against Disco Inferno, Chris Jericho, Brad Armstrong. Faces of Fear and the Steiners. That's a pretty decent tag match, really. Scott Hall against Super Kilo. Yeah. Dean Malenko against Psychosis. Um, Kurt Hennig and Ric Flair against Buff Bagwell and Conan. <laughs> and I'm guessing the main event, DDP against Lex Luger. Which... Was that the biggest gap between a Raw and a, and a, and a WWE? Yeah, I would say, yeah. I've always the Hogan one. I'll have to check because I'm sure the Hogan... Go, or maybe that segment, it might be that seg that that on the hour. Hour, yeah, yeah. If so you do the hour by hour, it's, it's all different. But I mean, I mean that to me, even one of those both cards sound pretty average. It it um, was it wasn't a great. I mean, I this is round about the time eighth of September. I went to see WWF live here on the twentieth of September that year, where I remember it being a really exciting time in WWF. But the problem is, one thing was missing from there in action. He might have been around, but Steve Austin wasn't in action because he was injured yeah that was after the Owen Hart thing wasn't it yeah this was after SummerSlam so you had yeah. Bret Hart I don't think the, the, see, the Hart Foundation were was sort of I think they were waiting for Austin to come back because yeah. they couldn't really they were working programs with the Patriot and Vader and that it just wasn't really it's, no, it's not no, drawing no. people in is it whereas Nitro was still keeping up with I'm not sure where Luger was at that point whether he was NWA by that point or why he was against DDP but they may well have been having that WCW NWO battle still. So, yeah. you know, the constant. But see, that was quite an interesting one, I thought. But then, so we get, they, 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 again, they carry on winning the margins. I mean, they're a bit up and down and that. But then we get to the first time since 96 that Raw beats Nitro. Ah, the, the famous, okay. The folks. So 30 the title. No, it's not earlier than that. Actually, that's what I thought. I thought it would have been then, but this was this was earlier. Um 13th of April 1998. When I went and saw what the the cards were like, I've got the whole thing written down, so I will go through this. When <laughs> when you when you get to the top, you I think you it all starts slotting into place about okay. why this this started to come a bit unstuck. So on nitro. 
You had Scott Steiner against Fit Finley, Ultimo Dragon against Lenny Lane, Johnny Grunge against Chavo Guerrero Jr., Chris Benoit. I've got it. <laughs> Chris Benoit against Glacier, Lex Luger against Buff Bagwell, Chris Jericho and Super Colo, Saturn against Van Hammer, Goldberg against Rocco Rock, and Kurt Henning against Yuji Nagata. It's hard to see what the main event was there, to be fair. On Some the other side, I'm talking probably. On the other side, Disciples of Apocalypse against Los Periquez, Takamishinoku against Jeff Jarrett, two, uh, Terry Funk and Tuko Scorpio against the Quebecers. Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman against the Midnight Express or the new Midnight Express. Yeah. Owen Hart. I know what the main event is. Owen Hart against Billy Gunn. Go on then, what are you thinking? Vince versus Austin. Yes. <laughs> that was it. Of course it was. Of course yeah. it was. So is, it, is there any clearer indication about what I feel is, is, is got to be? I mean, it's, it, you can see it in the ratings anyway. The turning point for the Monday Night Wars. Oh, well, it was it was definitely that. I was that. Gosh, yeah. yeah. Austin, yeah. Austin and McMahon from from the it off, was, you know. It was again. It's a shift in culture. It's a, a shift in the mood and the shift of society. And Vin and W haven't been great at that in a mm. long while because no. I don't think Vince was a show since Seinfeld. So, <laughs> um, in terms of it, catching the genie in the bottle, or the, the magic moment, or that that moment of lightning, like, oh, that's the moment that's going to change it. Yeah, it was the whole mood of everyone wants to beat up their boss. Yeah, you know, no one wants to be corporate America. Everyone yeah. was in the. It was, uh, you know, people just. It was that. Yeah, it definitely caught the mood, absolutely spot on. Um, and the rebel against authority, spot on at the time. Mm. Obviously, a DX leading into this anyway, because you had the DX prior yeah. this. Uh, starting to chip away at the the fan base of yeah yeah the the margins definitely started getting a little slimmer or or they were more frequently they were tighter um at the beginning of 98 which is when dx of like first formed late 97 or 98 that's it yeah and that's when it started the i think sean left in did he leave it i think it is 97 dx and then 98 sean left again so Sean, then, directly after WrestleMania 14, Sean left because he did his back end. That's right. And then X-Pot came in, which is the it. first signing to go back, if I'm right in thinking. Yeah. And again, that was the turning start of that kind of motions clicking again. Okay, well, they're now losing the talent and it's now jumping. Hmm. Uh, and then it was the first, I can remember, there's probably others, but the first real shoot interview yeah. on where someone was given a mic and was said, go out there and say what you want. Yeah. Um, on WWE TV at least and WWE I think had done this prior when six went over the first time but yeah. I think um, on WWE it's the first time that, that, that they acknowledged that war on TV yeah. whereas WWE mentioned it quite regularly week in week out mm. um, so that, again the downfall WWE comes from that that that, that uh, Vince put well I say Vince Shawn Michaels Triple mm. H put a band together um, and pushed to be allowed to be themselves a lot more, which was known to be HBO as an absolute dickhead. So <laughs> he just portrayed, portrayed that character on TV and it worked tremendously. And again, mm. pushing boundaries. They were pushing boundaries. DX wasn't pushing, uh, that NWO wasn't pushing. Yeah. NWO pushed boundaries in terms of reality. DX pushed boundaries in terms of naughtiness, mm. you know, in terms <clears> of being yeah. rebellious. NWO was never a rebellion. NWO was about, is this real? NWO yeah. was about, changing what a heel is mm. um and opening the curtain 
DX was about pushing boundaries. And that's where mm. the authority with the Austin thing mm. is an, an extension of that. Because yeah. DX started pushing boundaries and against, they went up against Sergeant Stall, which is the commissioner at the time, yeah. and pushing the boundaries of him. Then it became Vince and Austin pushing the boundaries. But people didn't see the parallel. It was very similar. Mm. It was very much about pushing boundaries and yeah. taking on authority. WCW wasn't about that. WCW yeah. was about, you know, trying to be uh, mainstream. It, it was still bad against good. And, and that's, you know, it still had that element. Whereas, you know, in, we're seeing in 98, the, the start of the attitude area, the attitude era. And the important thing I think with this is that that whole thing that Austin McMahon and DX were doing at the top of the card was then bleeding down. Massively. And it was influenced the whole product. You know, you had guys pushing limits, even from match one, you know, down the lower cards. And, you know, you think of, again, we said earlier on about thinking of storylines. When you're thinking of that that period, I'm thinking, I remember matches with the brood. I remember, you know, I remember Owen Hart versus Steve Blackman. I remember um, the tag division. I remember... There's so much, you know, Val Venus against Takamika yeah. and that PPP, I cut off PP. You know, yes. these are all things I remember of mid card and, and below. Yeah. WW, I know you had great wrestling matches uh, with like Rey Mysterio and things like that, but in terms of actual storylines, mm. I couldn't, rec- as I said, I couldn't recount any. And that's the difference. It bled from the top down. In WW, it was the top, and then everything else was just left to its own devices, it felt. The, the crew, they had a gem in the cruiserweight division as well with those guys, and they were growing that. It just it was never being elevated higher than mid card, if not lower mid card. But where should it have been? I see that, that's the thing with, with it. I, I think it was where it should have been. Yeah. I think people got, people started getting this whole yeah, but they should no. It, again, you, it was very rare you had someone that was that size. When Rey Mysterio was WWE champion, I think it was on the worst ratings of that period. That's true. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think putting them right at the top, you know, giving them the world titles and that, except with one exception, really, I think. I mean, even when Eddie Guerrero was the world champion, I didn't really believe it. The one guy that really I believed should have been there was Chris Jericho. Yes, but, then, was, yeah, Goldberg, but Goldberg mucked up for him. Goldberg wouldn't pick him yeah. over. If Goldberg yeah. puts him over, he becomes the, then their next um, inbred star. Yeah. Doesn't put him over, it, 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 it squashes him. Yeah, and that's and he went to WWE and immediately he took his persona with him. They knew what to do with him, worked him with the rock yeah. in the first appearance. There you go. So and that comes back again to Vince Bischoff. Mm. Bischoff should have gone in and said, You put him over, that's the end of the story. Yeah. You, you know, and you take your ball and go home, as Austin did with, with Brock and other things, in terms of making that tough decision that it doesn't matter if you like it or not, mm. this has to be done. Yeah. And that, that's that's a disappointing, very disappointing. But yeah, you, I mean, cruiserweights in that time were fantastic. Look, cruiserweights have got bums in seats. You watch the show, you mm. watch it for us, and then it, then it progressed, and the wrestling generally got worse. But mm. you watch it because the characters, yeah. and that's like a theatre in terms of you know the opening act's really good, and then you save it all for the main event, and hopefully that's going to be the bit that takes a go home. Yeah, and I think well, I mean, WWF at this point had a really strong card all the way through i mean there was so you know even when they had a stinker of a match it was still outstripped anything that was going on over the other side because they might have started nitro off in a strong way and finished it but what happened in between you just had a bunch you know two hours worth of squash matches a lot of the time Um, i think on one of these that i looked at i probably won't get to go into in too much detail but there was one nitro where there wasn't a match longer than five minutes that was often that was often. We used to time it was them. just. It was just literally. Just we just... got to a stage watching WSW where we would time the matches and rec- and I did this in TNA as well, and have a two-hour show 
I think you were lucky if you got 18 minutes of wrestling. Yeah. At the time, um, which is quite damning. And you'll be very surprised if you didn't get a main event ended in a ref bump, a run-in or mm. some sort of interference. Yeah. I think for 17 weeks in a row, it finished like that at one stage. Yeah. Um, and again, that's that's the that was the clear of there's no vision of no that's it it's just almost like they had this roster they didn't really know what to do with they're just going to pitch them together they throw them out there again no storylines involved or if they were they were laughable funny you should mention the Taka Mishinoku Valvinius thing actually because the next sort of point that I've made on the timeline you get to 24th of August 98 and you according again to the ratings I've got was the biggest ratings or what I've put is the biggest competitive nitro rating so basically they had bigger ratings, but they were genuinely when there was no raw to go up against. So this yeah. is the highest rating they had during this period when they were up against raw. And I mean, just to pick out some, some of the matches on this, so Nitro, Wrath and Mike Enos, Conan and Jim Neidhart, Steve McMichael, Scotty Riggs, Scott Norton, Rick Fuller. Then you get towards the top, you got, Chris Jericho, Kurt Hennig, and then at the top, you've got Bill Goldberg, Kevin Nash, teaming up against the Giant and Hulk Hogan. That's pretty big, really. And on the other side, Ken Shamrock against Dan Seven, Kane against Mankind in Hell in a Cell, Val Venus in Takamishinoku, which I believe was, I think it was the week after Taka turned on him. So during that time, whether it was, that was the show that they did that or the week after, I'm not sure. That's... Um, one of the other notable matches on Raw on that night was the the Brawl for All final. So this 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 disastrous experiment. So funny, I was going to say the Brawl for All. I loved the Brawl for All. I loved it. I I I've watched the documentary about it recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the infamy it's it's brought to the company is bloody brilliant. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it because. I, I would have liked to have seen it back personally because I, yeah. I thought, you know, all these people are supposed to be hard men. You know, you get them in and then you really see who the hard men are. The people, the, the most unassuming people, mm. you know, feel like JPO who had a big mouth at the time and he got knocked yeah. out by the Bruni at one stage. So, um, yeah. But again, it was trying something. This is, the, this is yeah. the thing with wrestling fans and wrestling is that we moan they don't try anything. They try something. They, you know, <laughs> just off topic very quickly, mainly yeah. this year, which I won't be watching, a lot of people I've spoken to who are more into fan forms and stuff have said, everyone's moaning how weak the card is. There's no Cena, no Undertaker, no Rock, no Batista, no... So they're the same fans that when they turn up every year, go, oh, it's just filling up the old people again. Yeah, but they still buy and go the next year. Exactly. And it's the same as this. They tried something that was a bit different. Um, it was outside the realm. It, was it a complete utter failure? Yes, it was. There's no doubt about that. Well, the, the big thing with that is it didn't go the way they were planning. Because no, everything wrong. Everything they did went wrong. Doctor Death was meant to win that and go and then yeah. have a program with Steve Austin about yeah. Bart Gunn. But I don't think that would have been any good anyway. I don't think that would have. I don't think it would have solved anything. So. No, Steve, I don't Steve think so. might have been over as a wrestler, but he went mm. over as a personality. I don't, Especially I don't to go off again. I don't think. I mean, whether they were looking at it to elevate him because Austin was red hot at that point. I don't think we'd done anything for Austin to have got into that with him to be no, fair. I, anyway. I, I think it would have been a, a one pay per view done. Yeah. It would have been very, very quick. It would have been a lot of build up for nothing. Yeah. Personally. There's no so, way good. After this, after that big nitro rating, they then had uh, another two consecutive weeks where there was no raw. So they kind of just ran with it. But 
on the 31st of August, they did have the main event of Sting and Lex Luger against Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart, which I feel may well have been a strong contender to win. Tag that again. Yeah. They tend to just get as many names on the main event as they could often. Three yeah. versus three, two versus two. It was very rarely one-on-one for any any meaning in WWE. Yeah. Um, it was always a freeway, a guest ref or something like that. And that, that was, the again, that was what you call the, the dusty finishes all the time. Yeah. They, they were running out of fresh ideas with this. Like you say, I think, yeah, getting the, getting the stars out there. Yeah. Not really knowing where the programme was going necessarily or not, not thinking they had to try hard enough. Uh, or... and, and, and Bishop would say on these 83 weeks about, you know, that's a story arc. You know, mm. we've got this art that's going. It's, going. it's like, well, you work at the product content, you're thinking, I don't know about that. I don't know how much an arc you're building when you had certain things. No. It's a very loose arc and it could change at any stage into whatever you want. It's very easy to have six months of programs and go, well, it's not there. Well, yeah, yeah you can create an arc because you want to create an arc. So, you know, when Vince plans Mania in the past on a year in, in advance, you can believe that. Yeah. You can believe there's planning and you know what stage that certain things are going to happen to go into click. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't ever felt, think I felt that with WCW apart from the sting angle and that ended up being a calamity at the end but that's yeah. the only other long, long-term angle outside of nwo that you, that's memorable really mm-hmm. the yeah. goldberg uh, undefeated streak i don't know if that, that wasn't even a bischoff thing i don't think i think he, that was started before he was there i might be wrong but i don't i don't think he no, no, no he was, he was, no, he was there. there yeah he wasn't sorry uh, I, yeah he was there um so did, yeah he i think he helped create the goldberg thing i, mm. I, I, I take that back yes he did again but, they, uh, i mean I, I, during this, this is round about this time, I think 98 would have yeah. been when Goldberg won the belt. And then we're getting towards the end of 98 when they, they ended the streak, they took the belt off him. And then, which would lead in a few months, well, in a few, when we get to January 99, you have the finger poke of doom. I don't think that was as much of a mistake as that, personally. No, true. I mean, it was almost like that, that was their reaction to it. They didn't really, I mean, I, why not keep the belt on Kevin Nash? For a bit longer, rather than just put it on over. The finger poke of doom, which has been credited with ruining the title, blah blah blah. Um, I get it. I mm. from a booking point of view, I get it. No one saw it coming, so you got the shock value. Mm. They're best buddies, so why not? You know, mm. he's the leader. There's a dominant leader there, and you're a pack, and you're that tight. You know, yes, they could have had a match, and then he could have laid down at the end and made it and dragged it out. But this is a massive shock. Did it devalue the title? Not for me. No, I. I it made me kind of think, uh, you know, they if they had done that and put it on somebody else other than Hogan, I may have got a little bit more excited, but maybe it was like uh, it's another Hogan title run, you know. Yes, I, I get that point of view. If it was maybe a fresh member mm. coming in, but the whole angle was about them two going up, like, up against each other. That's the yeah. whole thing. It wouldn't have worked if it was someone else. If, if it was introducing a new member, say say it was Sting who was going to, and he'd done it, mm. and on the top, that would have worked because it would have been a shock that, you know, this guy's, you know, who's not been adverse to being in the end of it the whole time, then he turns. But by mm. that stage, again, it was too watered down. Yeah. Um, the Goldberg loss of the title was just... And the yeah. fact that he lost it in such a stupid way with a cattle prod, <laughs> you know, again, a bump. or, or yeah. a, It was just, you know... And the fact that Nash put him over, it wasn't... The t- and I'm not a big fan of, you know, Goldberg becoming his, his own hype. You know, he became his own character and felt he should never lose. He's invincible. He didn't understand the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny's run massively. I think he's, a, you know, a huge star. Mm-hmm. But what was the benefit of that? There was no benefit to anyone him doing that. Nash didn't need the rub. It didn't do no. anything for him anyway. Uh, Hogan 
would have meant more if Hogan beat him, it'd have been oh Hogan's just beat another up and coming. It would have meant nothing to Hogan, it would have tarnished Goldberg. Yeah. Whereas someone like a Jericho beating him mm. would have meant something. Yeah. You know, and you could have used that to elevate. And that's what WCW never did. WCW's biggest problem on the wrestling side of things is they never elevated people. No. Which is WWE, you know, and this this is my biggest problem with the company now, or one of the biggest problems with many, but I won't go into that. Mm. Is you think of how you got to a title, Bret Hart, HBK, um, Psycho Sid to a degree, and you could use that. Maybe not Yokozuna as much. Uh, Warrior, Macho Man. What did they all win before they won a world title? Mm. All of them. The IC title. title, yeah. And they had programs at the IC <laughs> title that could be rerun at the world title. Yeah. Austin, Hogan, Warrior. All these things, HBK, Razor Ramon, all these things could be rehashed. You know, you built your career on going through that. You got into that level and then you either went one way. You stayed around there or you mm. pushed up. Mr. Perfect, people like that, some unluckily um, stayed in the IC title reign. Mm. But it was a, a, a good time. Then you went up. WCW didn't do that. They tried. They tr that Jericho would have been the, the, the prime example of going from the US title. They did it later with Booker T and things. It was too late by then. Yeah. The, that title meant nothing. You, it was They rushed trying to elevate people at that stage. You was in the IC title for 12, 18 months. Then you would go up into a world title shot, and then you you would be solidified as a main event. Yeah. WWE in the time that I can remember, prior to the back end of the Booker T era and the relaunch and that stuff, you're thinking of main events. You're going to say Hogan, Macho, Hulk. The DDP is the exception slightly. I think was the one person I think they did, and Goldberg did. They both went through the US title reign, and um, but then you had at the start time you have Hogan, everyone in that that same pocket. When it came to them bringing new people in, they just forgot how to do it. Yeah, they didn't bring yeah. anyone else through. You know, at that stage when Hogan was at the back, really back end of it, what he should have been in the ring. Nash was in and out. Hall was in in and out rehab. Uh, Jeff Jarrett was just, um, yeah. yeah I See, he's he's one that will will shoot a bit forward in a minute, and and Jeff Jarrett is one. I've liked him at certain stages of his career, but towards this end of the WCW, I I, I do associate him with this real naff era, you know, where nothing made sense. And there, anyway, we'll come on to that a bit more. Um, notable pick, 26th of October was the last Nitro win um, for quite a while anyway. So, you know, effectively, I mean, WWE well, had... Tyson came in now, didn't he? Tyson came in just before that. So Tyson was around WrestleMania uh, 14. So he was yeah. around when, when this streak ended yeah. with Austin McMahon. That was all around that period where they had started to lose their edge a little bit. Rodman so, came in WCW soon after. I think they tried with the Rodman thing. Was that, that was just... Yeah, I think that was probably around there. Yeah, could well have been. Could well yeah. have been. So on the last, the last Nitro that would win, you know, and during this period anyway, uh, Diamond Dallas Page beats Bret Hart for the US title. So, you know, it's a, it's a popular one there. But after that, you're looking at 2nd of November onwards for quite some time, I think probably to the end now. Uh, WCW did not really have any edge whatsoever on WWF. Um, and then you're looking, I just thought actually around that time, November, who else was, was were they bringing to the fore to battle against Austin? They were bringing The Rock through. Yeah. Because November 98 was when The Rock at the Survivor Series wins the first world title and they start building that. You know, they, they turn him heel and start building that program. 
Yeah, which they rehashed them. But then at the same time, in January that year, 98, that's when Thunder launched. And that was the start of the end. Yeah. That was a real pinnacle moment where they it, it all sh- Bishop was burnt out of the stage. Mm. Creative had issues behind. You had people jumping and leaving yeah. for a contract. They was flying people in from all over and then just having them backstage not using them. You yeah. know, it, it was a cluster. Yeah. So around the funder, and then you had people on contracts that had, you know, 200 dates a year and they were, they were up and they couldn't use them anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think that it coincides again with the Austin. I think the Austin Rock and that era anyway would have, would have shot ahead anyway because it was yeah. so culturally hooked on you know people who didn't like wrestling would quote austin 316 and do you smell it was it was it's become pop culture yeah. again WWE having, the nwo was a, a pop culture but after nwo there's nothing that's pop culture no wwe at that time was creating things constantly you, you became massively pop culture um the launch of funder was was a real blow a real real blow mm. uh, and, and this is where going up financially was the the aol time all the things started being mentioned and the merger was going through. And when you look at the, I mean, it, the things, WSW, I'll, I'll condense it very quickly. WSW was seen as the ugly stepchild of Turner Network. Mm. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. It doesn't attract good sponsors. Um, it doesn't attract any uh, great money on TV revenue in terms of uh, selling. If they tried to sell wrestling to us, if someone sold wrestling, they wouldn't get high value for it because the advertising market was very poor. They assumed that generally people that watched it were middle to low income families, uh, generally white trash is what uh, they was described described yeah. as, um, rednecks and and low lifes. Yeah. They didn't want it as part of the brand. And what what a lot of the companies did so because TNT oh sorry Turner Network was a massive conglomerate. We had uh, DVD branches, it had home videos, it had t- uh, TV stations, it had sports things. WW and their books. So this is when it comes to interest with the profits and about how much they lost, how much they made. It's impossible to know because what would happen is a lot of these companies would dump their negative in the WW part. So a lot of money that would come in. So a lot of losses. So the home network division. So um, at the time, Time Warner videos, which are TNT Turner classic movies, um, they bought... Uh, I think it's Hannah Barbera, Hannah Barbara, the animated company, mm-hmm. and they dumped the uh, loss of that in the WW uh, oh. no return fund. So mm-hmm. when it comes to accounting, it was very hard to go. WW lost X amount of money. If you broke it down and and you look at the contracts and you look at the actual cost of production, mm-hmm. WW never really lost more than seven to eight million pounds in a year. Um, it was overinflated to what it was. And when they got taken over, literally overnight, they said, "We're done. We don't want this on our t- on our product." Yeah. And 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 Turner wasn't there to fight the corner. You so that's the real WW. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. I was gonna say they they didn't have what I've heard as well. They like you mentioned, nobody wanted it. Nobody was into wrestling. Nobody knew anything about it. So the guys making the decisions were making it purely on a, a TV basis, almost. You know, not you it know. Was and it was a TVX and people yeah. like that. No idea. But Bischoff was fighting a losing battle from the from the minute Turner lost power, which was before they even sold to mm-hmm. Time Warner. Turner was was out, um, and that's when it started to go down slightly. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, when the the board of uh, what they call out there, the right the TV people like the BF BF whatever they call it over mm-hmm. there, the, what is it called? What are their names? The, the name from anywhere the, the Epic Board or whatever it would be yeah. of the company. You um you can't say this, you can't do this. And all of a sudden, the one thing WSW had going for it 
and was competing, they had to then switch and go to a more family-friendly audience and change that everything about what they was doing overnight, practically, because it, it got to a stage where scripts had to be approved mm. by the uh, ethic committee before it would be allowed to go out. And there'd be someone watching the show going, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, and, and he had his hands tied. Yeah. And, and Vince had a, a period of that when he had, when he had like the right to censor come out and things like that. But Vince didn't give a, he wasn't going against his boss because it ultimately was the boss. Yeah. So he poked fun at it and, and Bischoff couldn't. No. And that was, again, this is the thing with the death the, of the WCW. Everyone thinks it was Bischoff, uh, the NWO, Hogan, these people. Uh, you know, one of the legendary things, which I, I don't think anyone actually knows, was the contracts. When mm -hmm. WWE bought out WCW, it was said that, that Hogan, Goldberg, all these people had, had guaranteed Time Warner contracts. And Bischoff has declared that that never happened. And it did. Yeah. You know, they had Time Warner contracts. And that's why they, ne they never went. And, yeah. you know, but that's not why WCW died. You know, and again, they had Time Warner contracts. So when you look at the ins and outs and the, the cash flow of the company... They wouldn't have gone on against WWE's budget. It would have gone against an AOL, uh, a Turner, mm. uh, caught a salaried on a Turner product. So, so it, it, you don't see behind the scenes of big companies. And I think people just think about the wrestling. And yes, it was dire. We all know yeah. that. But there's nothing to say that it couldn't have gone back. You know. Yeah. Well, then we go on to so I mean, throughout '99, WWF is, is firmly back in the driving seat. You know, Raw is trouncing Nitro week on week. You think about what was going on over there. So, yeah, Austin Rock, you had the, the, the Ministry of Darkness coming through. You had Triple H then start to form from the DX Triple H to the one that really started to be the game. You know, uh, you can could, you could see the clear difference. And then in October of 99, I would love to have put, I was very, I was almost very quick to put the death of WCW at this guy's door, mainly because he is associated oh, yeah. with it, as uh, Vince Russo. Oh, okay. So October, Vince Russo goes over, and the 18th of October was the first Raw, uh, was the first Nitro, apparently, that he was responsible for, for writing or having input in. Oh, you know, so. you, you look at it, 2.1 2 rating points, apparently, that, that Nitro lost to Raw that night, but would you say that the wheels were well and truly coming off by that point? Vince Russo, could he have turned it around realistically? Russo, very interesting, very, very interesting Russo. So I remember really well, I've been a Russo fan to a degree. Um, did he do the always stuff in WWE? No, Vince was the ultimate person. Russo needed a filter. Uh, without a filter, he was let loose and he was like a madman in a candy shop. So could he have changed it? No, 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 not at all. Not on his own. If he came in, under Bischoff, if Bischoff was the number one and Russo came in as number two, that would have had more chance of success. But Russo came in as number one, Bischoff came back as a number one, and that was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. You can't have two number ones in a role. It's a, it's a hard enough role as it is, mm. let alone having, then you're going from having utter chaos to having two people who are trying to work together, which are never, it's like oil and water. They're never going to work together. They didn't even, it's like putting Jim Cornette with Russo. It's just not going to happen. It does, it, you can, bury a hatchet for about half a day and then one thing happens it's wrong and it's going to be blame game yeah. um but what i did like was when when russo came in it was again you had that hope of it was going to change and it was going to be a real difference mm. um but he was dealing with a lot of problems again he came in 
he came in and said, I'm never going to be an on-air personality. And within, I think, six weeks, he was an on-air personality. Yeah. He came with a very thick New York accent that, that was people just grated people in the wrong way. Um, then he got involved in matches and then the shoots, no shoots. Is it a shoot? Mm. It will be a shoot, but we'll change it. It's not really a shoot. Or we'll leak it. It's a shoot. It just, <laughs> it became a bit like, what? what's happening here? Like, I don't he, think they knew. He, no, he believes in just chaos. He believes that every mm. angle, and I get what he does, every angle should have something on the line. Whether it's a piece of cheese, whether it's a, whether it's a, a kettlebell in a box, whether it's, you know, um, yeah. Julie Bagwell on a pole. Every match should have something to ride on. Yeah. He doesn't need that. Good wrestling doesn't need that. And he failed to understand the difference between shock and awe and storyline telling. Yeah. So, no, I don't think that was a long answer. Sorry. I don't think he could have made any difference. I think his bringing a fresh outlook a fresh approach to it was was good it just may have been yeah too little too late and like you say just a little bit kind of nonsensical at times to to really stick or be able to really mount a decent offense against what Vince was doing over on uh, Vince McMahon was doing on the other side nothing there was nothing at that point apart from signing someone and to like a a triple h or signing someone Mm. to come over again to make a difference in it it needed some. That, that what it did need is what they did later on when they shut it down and re come back. That's what I, it needed then. I quite like that. I, I yeah. see in two thousand, I lost sight. That's when I really stopped watching it regularly because uh, we ended up um, getting rid of Sky and that. So I wasn't watching either program um, on a weekly basis. It was only when I went back and I got some of the VHSs from pretty sure it was two thousand where they did that reset. Was it was Spring Stampede or one of the two where they had all the titles? Like, yeah. yeah, that was quite cool. I quite like that. You know, when they did that, um, at this stage, I was Jay as a fan, and it was a lot of Power Star magazine, or it was just yeah. everything was a fan. Um, WWE was a much more streamlined product and it had storylines that you could see, but that was getting a bit boring. Mm. It was getting a bit like samey uh, segment in the morning uh, in, in the first segment for the main event and then coming out in the middle segment and then it's Austin was off TV a bit at that time yeah. and things like to change and it wasn't as yeah it was just a bit, a bit re- repetitive mm-hmm. um and WSW was at the, at the loggerheads of like this is just shock and it's just rubbish and then they, they yeah. said right we're closing down we're coming back uh rebranding I like the rebranding of WSW um taking all the titles away I like that idea of like having a real reset trying to give the venue a slightly different look love yeah. that mm-hmm. uh, they did all the right things but they then chose to go the Millionaires Club versus the New Blood, which I liked. Mm. The problem was they had the New Blood as the heels and the Millionaires Club as the yeah. faces. Yeah. That one decision killed it. Yeah, it could have, yeah, it could have had a totally different dy- dynamic on the other foot, really. Killed yeah. it. Yeah. yeah they, I think they had lost the audience by this bit. It wasn't necessarily what the WWF, they were doing anything spectacularly good. I mean, they were looking at the ratings. They really were. There was no coming back from it, to be fair. When you look but at they the lost the audience, but, but, but Russo, and he's, and he's right in saying this, Russo increased the ratings from when he came into when he left, the mm. ratings went up. Mm. So he was doing, he, he, he found an audience again, a, a steady yeah. audience. I mean, we would die for that number now, what they got. Yeah. It was like 4.5, reek in, week out, or maybe even up between 2.9 and 3.2, it might have been mm. at some stage. But there but, was just too many on the other side by that point you know that probably if they cancelled thunder okay so i honestly think if by this stage anyway aol had been uh turner had been bought out by aol the Mm. writing was on the wall it was gone 
No matter mm. what happened, they could have had ratings of seven, it would have gone. There yeah. was, it, it's well publicized, and execs inside the company have said this. Um, I, I, I must get the book. And they said it, it doesn't matter what it was pouring. It could have mm. been bringing in 80 million pounds. It does not matter. It was going. Mm. It was going to be done. Yeah. Um, I think if that wasn't the case, or yeah, if it wasn't the case, they could have rebuilt their audience. Yeah. Over time, because they had Jinjack, O'Hare, um, AJ Styles. Um, uh, who else was at the time? I can't remember. My mind's going blank now, but uh, I can't answer there. All the, the new blood they had Reno, yeah. my, uh, Mike Adams, Adamley, I think it was Adams. I can't remember. Oh, Mike Adamley, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, they, 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 Billy, they had, Billy, Billy Kidman was in there. He'd Billy, been bouncing yeah. around for a while, but he was there, you know. Back where, in the, you know yeah. uh, there was a lot of talent there that all of a sudden, if you book it right and you have the hills mm. as the millionaires' clubs, and you have the young guys. You know, everyone goes, oh, oh Hogan put over Billy Kidman. He, he bleaches, waxes lyrical. But yeah, but I put over Billy Kidman. Oh, shut up. You know, <laughs> you did one match in about 460,000 matches. You put over one guy in one match. Yeah, and you made sure you beat him down the, uh, uh, your belt for most of the match. Yeah. Um, but that's going off. But yes, if you if you switch that and you have them as the heels and the faces, you want to get behind the faces. That's the whole yeah. point of booking. It's yeah. easy to hate Hogan. It's easy to hate Lugo. It's easy to hate them people. Hmm. it's harder to hate people you don't really know and you they might annoy you but you can try and push yeah. um yeah that's that for me i think that free count the tank abbott being like the comedy part and to being part of the dark um i love i i thought it was a really really and they were green don't get me wrong yeah. they were green. very very green just a couple of really interesting points bringing to a close the the whole the ratings war side of it because it wasn't really a war by this stage it's just a couple of interesting points so on the 28th of february 2000 that was actually again according to the ratings i've got was the lowest rated raw oh keep saying lowest rated nitro there was one that was lower in april what was, was that 2.2 2.3 2.1 one, yeah, okay. So there was one that was 1.8 on the 3rd of April, but they didn't actually have a show. They they replaced it with a history of Nitro show. That's right. That was when they closed. Yeah, that was the yeah, they yeah, that's right. So on this 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 Nitro that got the lowest rating, the main event for the world title was Sid Vicious against Tank Abbott. <laughs> not great, is it? it? Says it all, doesn't it, really? And that was the one that I pointed out uh, that I remarked actually that not one match went beyond five minutes. Yeah. Um, which again, you said it, it did happen a lot. Was but... it Nash booking around that time? Nash booking, I think he was. Yeah, I think yeah, so that, certainly... that tells you something, doesn't it? Certainly, because... sort of the end of '99, because I know when Nash went over Goldberg, I think he was in that position then. He was booking, yeah, definitely. But wait, yeah. He, yeah, he was booking then. God. And then on the 1st of May, you get the biggest Nitro loss, ratings-wise. So 7.4 for Raw and 2.5 for Nitro. The main event, again for the world title, David Arquette against Tank Abbott. Bless Tank Abbott, really sort of suffered a bit being thrown into these world title fights. You know what with Tank? I, it's, it's a pavey, I think it's... I think it's full brawl and he fights another guy, but I don't know who he is. He's an XMA fighter for a leather jacket. And it's a, um, Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah leather jacket in, in the corner and they're fighting and, it, and there's loads of mistakes. There's like botch after botch. It's hilarious. I've watched it so many. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I like Tang Abbott, Tang, Tang Abbott. Mm. I 
like the fact that he became a comedy character. Um, he was going for that UFC kind of look, obviously from where he's from the UFC, mm. but he didn't know how to use him. Yeah. You know, I, I think he could have been used a lot better. And because he, he didn't have an athlete's body, he was quite tubby and yeah. just sort of bowl around with a funny looking face and a southern accent. Uh, it, it didn't really work over. But I find him quite, I thought he was quite entertaining towards the, the back end of his uh, time there. He didn't take himself seriously with a free count. No. I think I think he managed to get himself over quite well from the limited time that he was there in the end. It's just a, sh- it's a shame WWF had someone like Ken Shamrock. So they had already done that MMA crossover and they had done it yeah. quite well, I think, with him. Very well. So. Very well. But um, I mean that that last one when I said David Arquette, that really is the, for me, is one of those moments that, I mean, you kind of think you're not surprised, the way it went when this they decided to do that. There. It's a shame because the pay per view that he, um, uh, the oh, was it Stambury, the free cage match, the cage and the cage and the cage. Yeah, I forgot what they called it. Then. I love that match. I love the gimmick of it. I, I'm again. I, I, this is me where I'm. I'm just a bit more of a WWE fan, yeah. and that's people like really poo-poo it. But I said, if you watch it, the you know before Hell in a Cell, I said that is a much better introduction to Hell in a Cell for me. I love the free cages of Hell, like going yeah. through the cage. I really loved it, and I and then the canyon bump. I know obviously it was always so bad. It was like you said, yeah, but it was a good bump. It was still a good thing. Yeah. Um, that was the only good thing I think in that year. I can remember everything else was just top. <laughs> um, I, I did like the Chris Canyon being DDP. I love that. That's one of my favorite parts yeah. of wrestling. Yeah. When he used to go around, I, I recalled him recently and sent this to a friend. I just I used to go around, and just go, you know, production crew, bang, and then run <laughs> off. I love <laughs> Chris Canyon, uh, Chris Canyon Page um, segments. I loved uh, Terry Funk in these hardcore matches where he couldn't move. I yeah. loved Ralph in the hardcore matches where he couldn't move. They, they very uh, much went the. The, the the comedy route which was oh. endearing in a way i suppose again i didn't watch a lot of it i really caught glimpses of it through magazines or by going back uh, you know since i've had the network and whatever and i i don't know what oh, i would have thought typing, as a fan typing terry funk versus ralph or just ralph's matches and segments my good god honestly it is you was it's the funny they're just so funny because they're so bad and he was like a the guy was like a backstage worker and they just got him off. I think it was a popcorn set and Jericho said, you'll do <laughs> yeah. and he no talent. It yeah. just broke. But sadly, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was done. By See, them. I think, I think that character really, from what I remember of him, when he came in as Chris Jericho's bodyguard, I mean, that really works because it bounced off of Chris Jericho really, yeah, really it's well. Brilliant. It's, a, you know, I suppose clinging on to someone like that during this era could argue maybe they were just trying to squeeze whatever they could out of whatever was lying around but absolutely absolutely so <laughs> sort of winding down towards the end then obviously we know what happened then uh, beginning of 2001 inevitably the wheels completely fell off wwf would come in and pick up what was left i think i was going to close on on sort of a a kind of where did the invasion angle go wrong but i have a feeling i think that could be just another episode really i would like to that's go back to yeah you don't want to get me on that because that's <laughs> that i i think we could unpack a lot through that because i remember a lot of that and i recently you know last year i went through the whole thing as well yeah i did it a couple yeah, years ago but I, I cried nearly at, at the the potential of what we had and what yeah. we got and so dream we, we can we can definitely touch on that again but just to kind of close off i've i've seen a meme i don't think i can share it unfortunately on here but I'll, I'll sort of talk you through it. I've seen a meme lately that I had to keep. 
because um, it's, it's headed, which was the greatest mistake made by WCW? And there's eight options as to what could have been the, t- the point which killed WCW effectively. If you could put it down to one, I'll read them out. And then out of these, just let me know what you think. So one is overexpanding the NWO, which we discussed. Giving Hulk Hogan creative control, the finger poke of doom. Ending Goldberg Street when it was the best thing they had going. Hiring Vince Russo, making Kevin Nash a booker, allowing guys like uh, the Radicals to quit, like Saturn, Guerrero, Benoit, Malenko, and even maybe Jericho going over, and putting the title on David Arquette. So all points pretty much that we've covered in this. So in summary, if you could put it down to one yourself personally, what would you what would you say out of those would be the most responsible? I mean, they're all, they're all valid points, but I, you, I, you, I can't put it down to one because it's, they're all accumulations of something. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of the most destructive would be the Arquette one. Yeah. It, it probably ruined or, or tarnished whatever faith anyone had left that WCW could actually it was the, the come up. Back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I think cool. after that, the ratings shortly after that, I think you start getting high ones if I'm, yeah. if I'm not mistaken I mean 1.8 1.9s mm-hmm. uh, low twos are the best I think fans turn off quite in a big way after that um, yeah there's some twos yeah I mean twos but barely over sort of you know yeah not a patch on what it was but um yeah I mean I, I was a bit like you and I looked at that I couldn't I would have said all of them really in some way but um I was very I was I was ready to blame it on Vince Russo but the more I thought about it I thought if, if he had taken it from the beginning and ended up taking it down the pan, you'd probably blame him more for it. But, but Just on the Russo thing, I know he's outspoken. The thing, yeah, the thing with Russo, I mean, he's well disliked now, I think, generally speaking, with his TN, TN, TNA run. Mm. And it's a shame again, because I think he has good ideas, but just there's, he's never had the Vince Vilta since. But ratings-wise, he's always improved ratings. And it's, I don't know what it is, but in TNA, when he was there and when he came in, um, you obviously got a mismatch of really good booking and awful booking. Yeah. And it's the same with WCW. You had some really good booking and just awful booking. And he never had the filter to kind of distinguish. But the ratings, would st- he would get people in watching the show and it would generally have an uptick when he was there. TNA, best ratings were 1.2 to 1.5 at one stage for a, pe- for a period hmm. when he was booking it. You know, and then when he left, it did start to decline. So he, he's there's something in his methods. Mm. So to say, oh, it's his fault. He's a bad man. Don't be wrong. Um, but I think again, I think it's easy to go, oh, it's Russo's fault, or it's mm. okay, or whoever. Truthfully, we're talking about the wrestling side of it, which is absolutely fine. That's in terms of the product that they put out to 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 be poor. If Bischoff, if Bischoff takes the company over, a venture capitalist, whatever it was called, if they take it over and uh, TNT keep the two-hour slot. WSW would still be around. I, don't, I have no shadow that TNA wouldn't be. It wouldn't even be mentioned. They mm. would have used the model that TNA had. I look at AEW now again going off. You know they're not getting what are they getting one point twos, one point fives in the ratings. 
Yeah, I mean, you know? that, there's there's so much of it around now as well. I think you had, back in these days, you, you really had, I mean, ECW was on TV, but it had its own cult following. It was yeah. just the two big ones. But when you mention it in the same breath, I mean, you, you talk about WWE and NXT, almost like they're separate commodities now. Yeah. And you've got AEW, you've got Ring of Honor. You know, there's, there's so much choice. You just, you know, look, Pit me in charge of wrestling company, and, and it's it's it's, a, it's pretty simple to run, I think. Um, obviously, you've got to manage the egos. That's the hard part. Booking angles isn't difficult. You know, the problem now is everything's been done. This is mm-hmm. I was having a debate with with a friend when AEW first got their TV contract. I said WSW grabbed the ball by the horns and created something that had never been seen before on in Western TV on in a wrestling show as. Mm. having an invasion angle a proper invasion angle i surprised that it was america versus canada was like the only thing that you had that was a real rivalry that you chalk up the invasion angle was new bringing your own names with new they created a they created a whole new angle that hadn't been seen Mm. then dx came along and they created an angle that you hadn't seen you can't everything now is anything you do is recreating the old Mm. you know a, a friend said yeah but you don't know what the new thing is until it comes along i was like you're right. Of course, you, you can't say it until it comes along. I said, but I can't see it coming along no. because I don't think there's anything they can be done now. That, that, no. The only thing, you know, would have been, again, like for AEW, would have been going off the restore, but Cena signing for AEW, that would have been a shock mm. as it coming into Hill. And it, going back yeah. to WCW, would have been the only thing they could have done at that era to re flick it over would have been to do what they did in 94, 96, mm. was sign two of the biggest names in WWE. Yeah. And through, I said, right. Austin, how much we, how much is it going to get you to come over here? Or HBK, how much is it going to cost you yeah. to come over here? Get yeah. over here. That's the only thing that would have made WSW on a, a, a quick bounce back. Yeah. You know, over seven, eight, five, seven years, people would have, again, turned off a WWE and gone back to WSW because they go back to check out the competition. Yeah. But it, it was creating stars takes a lot. You know, look how long it took to build Cena up. People forget, how, you know, he was there for five, seven years before he became an actual. Yeah. Yeah. And again, going back to Triple H, really, he, he, I mean, take what he did in WCW, but even when he went to WWF, he wasn't a household name necessarily. I don't think until he got to 98, even 99, when he, when he really turned into that game sort of persona and he'd already been there four years. So, yeah. Yeah, It takes a long time to, 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 yeah. And you'll build, and, and, you know, as I said, they had some really good talent. At that at that period, WWE at the end, they did have some really young, and they came over WWE like Ginger O'Hare, Palumbo, not so much meat, but you know, yeah. Stasia was actually one. But they had a lot of young talent that were green and just being taken out of the power plant a bit too early. Yeah, but they had to take that risk and be like, well, that's they're only going to learn now. And NXT, there was it was an early NXT in terms of that. They just like, well, get them on TV yeah. and them and let's learn the business on the ropes. Yeah, um, and I think I think a few of them could have been stars. They all look at them now. How many of them are still resting? Yeah. I don't think any are, are they? Really so. you know. Anyway, that lead that will lead into our next show quite nicely, I think, which we'll have to uh, we'll have to arrange fairly soon. But to to go into the invasion angle because yeah, we can we can go into names like that and what went wrong, what we could have done, or what we oh. would have done different, what they could have done different. You know, it's it was a. Are we going to rebook it? Basically, are we going to rebook it? How we how it should have been done? Like that'd be cool. We could do like, that. It, could have been booked properly yeah Um, no that's that's a good good angle to take i'll be up for that because you know uh, needless to say it's gone through my mind many times of what yeah 
what I wish they even would have done. The, even with the talent they had at the time, they still got it. I mean, they didn't have a lot, but they still got it so wrong yeah. with the limited talent they had. Mm. Uh, and they rushed it and they was like, right, we're just going to... Vince was so obsessed with just killing WCW, which is, which is, it's almost difficult to say because obviously you had the Nitro, well, the Raw Nitro, where Buff Bagel versus um, Booker T match. Yeah. And that kind of killed it off the one, one go. And I was like, that's not that one. That was never... Have you watched that? Have you watched Before we do another one, watch that match back and tell me how bad it was. Because I watched it. It wasn't great, but it yeah. wasn't enough. That was so bad. We're never having WWE on the show again. I'll have was, a look. I'll have a look. It's, it was almost like I thought at times he was he was making a point. It's like WWF. Of course he was. Always better than this. End of. That was his winning the argument. But anyway, we'll leave that to the next one. So. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Now, listen, this has been awesome. I've been, I was really, really looking forward to delving into this. I'm glad we did. Um, yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, we'll get that next one arranged. So, listeners, you know, stay with us. We'll have Paul back on. And, you know, I can see a few of these coming out because, you know, it's, it's fantastic to, to do this with someone else, to be able to deep dive in with someone else rather than just myself. So, uh, no. I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. Cool. Well, I'll, uh, I shall let you get back to your evening, mate. And uh, you Thank know, you so awesome. much. All right. Cool. Cool beans. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 